What's up gamers and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And you have just entered my Captain's Quarters, my weekly gaming update show where I talk about my favorite gaming news topic of the past week, discuss what games I've been playing, give tips on some of those games, as well as issue a weekly relevant gaming-related decree. This week, a one-man indie developer showed off his first upcoming horror game in a hopeful series, so let's talk about it and dive right into the episode with my news catch of the week. Gamers, this past week, I was perusing the internet as I tend to do and looking for any kind of new games that I may have not seen announced yet or that I've never heard of before. And I really came across one that stood out to me above the rest. And if you know me, you know I am a huge horror fan. I love survival horror games. Anything in that genre, I am typically there. So when I came across this game called The Wine, I was very intrigued. And when I look more into it, it's actually the first title in what is a hopeful series called Horror Tales. So Horror Tales The Wine is this brand new game that got an announcement trailer this past week. And it's actually developed by one guy. And this guy is Carlos Coronado. And he is a one-man developer publisher who is making, at least it looks like, three of these horror tales titles at the same time. The Wine is going to be the first one that he releases, with The Beggar and The Astronaut releasing afterwards. Now, the synopsis for all these are online. I'll go into detail with you on The Wine, but The Beggar and The Astronaut, check those out online. They both sound really, really cool as well. Now, as far as The Wine is concerned, this is looking like it's going to be a first-person survival horror game. It's set in a post-pandemic fictional Mediterranean island. And what you're going to have to do as the player, you're going to explore this abandoned city because you're struggling to find this precious Benedibusque red wine bottle. Now, the reason why you're searching for this red wine, and hence the name of the game, is it's rumored that the ingredients within this wine have a cure for this virus that has spread, this illness that has spread and created this pandemic. Sounds very familiar, right? Hits a little close to home. Well, the bottom line is, in the game world, they refer to this illness as the devil's fever, and it's been killing residents of this Mediterranean island. Now, you're going to be playing as the character Marty Vermello, who, once he finds out about this wine, he's deciding to take a boat to this island and put everything on his shoulders and decide to find this wine and bring it back to his family to protect them. Now, it's going to be full of environmental puzzles that you're going to have to go through and explore as you scour the island, looking for clues as to how did this illness really happen? What started it? How do I get to the winery? The winery is actually where it's been rumored that this wine bottle is obviously going to be most prominently located. Obviously, this is where they create the wine. So hopefully you'll have plenty of opportunity and plenty of options once you get there to at least grab one bottle of wine to bring back to the family. Now, there's more of a caveat to this than just, oh, yeah, you get to explore the island for first person, do some puzzles, grab a bottle of wine and go home. Nah, it's a little bit more to it than that. It wouldn't be a survival horror game if that was the case. So, obviously, there's been a lot of death and decay on this island. And it's been kind of dormant and ostracized from the rest of the world and kind of out by itself for a while by the point you start playing the game. 
And during this time frame of idleness, the disease has obviously caused things and people and creatures to mutate or to evolve and to be created. And there's all kinds of weird, creepy, unsettling enemy types that apparently you're going to be having to avoid as you're exploring the streets of this Mediterranean city. Now, to add on top of that, it's not just that you have these creatures that are going to be out and about as you're trying to find your way to the winery here, but it's also going to have one specific stalker that is constantly stalking you throughout the course of this game. Now, I am going to kind of liken this character to the Nemesis or Mr. X from the Resident Evil series in the same way that they would be popping up randomly out of nowhere to stalk you or annoy you as you're going from one side of the police station to the other or one part of Raccoon City to the other. I feel like it's going to be the same kind of concept here with this stalker. Now, we have no understanding of who this stalker is yet. We have not been told any kind of details that I could find of who this stalker is in the context of the story. But the bottom line is, just know that he is going to be referred to for now as the nemesis, which I got to be honest with you is a little on the nose. Not the nemesis, but your nemesis. So it's very interesting. Uh, it kind of cracks me up to be honest with you, but the bottom line is you get the idea of what you're looking at when it comes to this game. Now, when it was announced this past week with the trailer, the trailer was actually really well done. Uh, graphically, the game looks very, very nice. I felt that some of the shots looked nicer than others, but overall, graphical quality looked like it was up there. And as far as the exploration piece and the different puzzles that it showed that were kind of just quick little shots here or there of different puzzle elements that were going on within the trailer... It looks like your typical first-person horror-themed, I won't say walking simulator, but very similar in that style. So I am very much there because I love those kinds of games. Uh, in addition to those different pieces, there's obviously the exploration of just basically walking around and exploring different areas of this Mediterranean city, which is actually the capital of this Mediterranean island that the city is resting on. And you also get a glimpse of, in this trailer the different puzzles that you're going to come across and different interactivity with the items. So when you pick up items, you can inspect them. You can usually rotate them and uh, examine them to find further uses of them. And then different things within the environment, the environmental puzzles that you'll stumble across and that you'll have to complete and progress through in order to get to the winery where you get your infamous wine bottle to be able to hopefully cure yourself and your family. So for me, I think it looks really cool. I'm very interested in checking this out. Uh, and we were told at the end of the trailer, the release for this game is going to be summer of 2021 on all available consoles, all PlayStation, all Xbox platforms, as well as the Switch and PC. So pretty much available to everyone, which is awesome. So it definitely looks like a really cool, unique experience. Definitely check out that trailer if you have not yet. See if it's something that you're would be willing to check out yourself, as well as checking out the synopsis for The Beggar and the Astronaut, the other two horror tales that are also in the works. So that'll do it for my catch of the week this week. Let's go open up my captain's log and see what games I've been playing. Gamers, if you've been paying attention this past week, you'll know that a major game in the industry released just a few short days ago. And that game was none other than Resident Evil 8 Village. 
So, of course, you know from listening to the show that I have already played the different castle and village demos as they released, as well as the maiden demo months ago. So I could not wait to get my hands on the final product. And I was sitting there with bated breath watching the countdown timer on my PS5 until I was able to be able to play the game. And once that thing turned from a countdown ticker to play now or play game, I could not wait to press the X button on my DualSense controller. Now, I will say that since the launch of the game until recording of this episode, I was able to get roughly nine hours of playtime in. And some of you may be like, well, wait a minute. I've been reading that it's roughly 10 hours to beat this game. How do you not beat this game? Well, if you listen to the show for a while or if you know me personally, you know that I tend to spend a lot more time than most people uh, on my individual gaming experiences. I try to do everything that I can in the games and scour the environments. And it's no different with Resident Evil or this specific entry. I got to tell you, I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed my playtime with this game. Uh, It is no disappointment. Coming off of the demos, I kind of knew what to expect, but it has not made me appreciate and love what I have played at all, any less, so far. Now, I will say that, you know, a lot of the beginning areas in what I've played of the game so far were what I've already discussed with you guys in previously released episodes based on those demos. Now, I will say that I play a lot of horror games, just in general, and I've played all the Resident Evil games. And usually, I'm not too shaken when it comes to tension and being nervous and just kind of on pins and needles the whole time I'm playing a game. But I got to tell you, uh, outside of the occasional jump scare, that's pretty much it. But this game has genuinely had me unnerved on numerous occasions, and sometimes for prolonged amounts of time. So what I mean, I'll start with the beginning of the game and the game's werewolves. Now, I can already tell you from the demo, I experienced some pretty nerve-wracking exposure to the werewolves, but it's heightened even more in the actual game. For me, at least, it was. Uh, The developers have done a great job of building that tension, and the AI of the enemies are just excellent. Uh, And it's terrifyingly excellent because... These werewolves, man, they will bip-bop and dance around any kind of shots that you're trying to go at them, and they're really fast, and they're really smart, and before you know it, they are up in your face. And remember now, this is a first-person perspective, Resident Evil, so uh, it's a little bit more jarring to see these snarling, disgusting-looking werewolves, cool uh, as they are. I love their character designs. Let me just put that out there. But right up in your face on that TV... Oh man, it's a little jarring. And just in general, you guys remember in Resident Evil 4, I'm sure you've played it, when it was such a big deal that you could go into a house and kind of hide out in a house by shutting the windows and putting barricades down to kind of slow the advancement of these groups of enemies, right? Well, that gameplay mechanic returns in Village, and it's very similar in the fact that there are, you know, little huts in this village. Uh, that you can go into and you can pull a bookcase or a cabinet or whatnot as a barricade over in front of a door. Uh, And you can also, some of the windows are already mostly boarded up outside of a few openings where you can get some shots off at some werewolves uh, from the safety of within the hut. But I tell you, it don't take long before they're breaking down that barrier. If you haven't, if there's too many of them and they can break through before you kill them all, or if there's one and they get off enough knocks on the barricade before you can take them out, and they can get in that house. Woo! I got to tell you, 
there's something about that speed that they have that's so unnerving for me at least it gets me going and i'm just flailing the camera around using the analog stick and i'm shooting off to the left and right of their heads it was just whoo it was a little rough uh in the beginning stages of the game and it wasn't just the beginning stages I kind of tapered off and didn't really have too many issues. I uh, came across some enemy types that were different than werewolves that I've also just, in general, loved the enemy types. Let me just say that. They're very varied. Uh, and if you've been a fan of the Resident Evil series, you kind of come to expect that at this point. They've always been known, the games have, for very unique monsters and enemy types. I mean, my favorite, one of them of all time, is the Licker. I love the Lickers, the Hunters. There's just so many different types very, very classic enemy sets in just about every Resident Evil. And this game looks to be no different. Uh, I will say that I got to a certain point a little bit further once I got into the castle. And you gamers remember Resident Evil 2, Mr. X, and how intense that was once you got to a certain point in the RPD where he was pretty much stalking the halls looking for you at every turn. And sometimes you wouldn't hear him. He'd pop out of a door out of nowhere and scare the crap out of you. Well, that same exact style of gameplay and scenario is played out in Castle Dimitrescu, however you say their name. Dimitrescu is what I'll say, is I think how Lady Dimitrescu pronounced in the game. So that's what we're going to go with is Dimitrescu. So in the Dimitrescu Castle, there is a sequence where you get to a certain point and, and that is exactly what you have to endure Uh, before you can get out of the castle and go on to the next area of the village. And I got to tell you, that had me extremely unnerved for quite a while, throughout the entire duration of that sequence, actually. Uh, It's actually more unnerving to me than the three daughters. If you'll remember, you were able to encounter in the demo, uh, and a lot of the marketing you've seen, I'm sure, the different daughters of Lady Lady Dimitrescu. And they're, they're pretty nuts. They're more annoying, I would say, than they are scary if that makes sense uh this being that is the mr x of this game is what i'll call it uh is uh is a lot more terrifying in my opinion so ultimately i was able to make it through the beginnings of the village and the castle and came out on the other side on a different side of the village and that's where i currently am at within the game now i will say from a gameplay standpoint mechanic standpoint uh, it's definitely maintained its quality that I had very much appreciated during my time with the demos. And I did decide to purchase the game. As I had mentioned earlier, I was counting down the clock on the PS5. I did make that decision to get it on PS5. It was a very tough call for me. It was a very tight race between whether I was going to get the PS5 version or the Series X version. And as I said, the game released on a Friday. It was not until Tuesday, three days prior of that release date, that I decided, yep, I'm getting it on PS5 because I was back and forth. I didn't know if, okay, well, the Series X, I'm sure it's got just a bit better frame rate and the performance is maybe a little bit better, but will I really notice it compared to the PS5 performance? Then I had on the PS5 sign, well, I've already played it and know how it looks and feels in the PS5, plus what the deal breaker was for me, guys, the DualSense controller. That controller is really a deal breaker for me when it comes to multi-platform games at this point already in the generation. I bought Outriders on the PS5, a lot to do with the DualSense. I bought Resident Evil 5 now, a lot to do with the DualSense. So my point is the DualSense effect or the DualSense difference, as I will coin that going forward, is really where it's at. And for me, that 
mechanic of the DualSense controller and the haptic feedback and the uh, adaptive triggers, all that there within the specifics and the differences between handguns, shotguns, even sniper rifles, everything. It's all still there and amazing, and I have not regretted my decision to purchase the PS5 version. Now, I will say I haven't really come across any major issues with the game yet, and I really, really hope that it stays that way. I'll be honest with you, the only real gripes that I have with the game, or gripe, would be its photo mode. I was very excited when I saw in the last demo that there was a photo mode that was going to be in the game and that it had frames and logo art that you could put on your your screenshots because I love those little details and a lot of games to be honest with you don't have those within their photo modes and I just it baffles me why they don't so I was very hopeful and excited for this Resident Evil's photo mode only to be disappointed once I've gotten into it and used it quite a bit I will say I've taken a ton of screenshots but the biggest detractor for me yes it's got frames and it's got the logo but the biggest detractor is that freedom of camera movement is not there it is very restrictive the camera movement uh, within this game once you go into photo mode and that is very very limiting for some of the cinematic shots that I personally like to do with my screenshots so I've been very disappointed with that but overall I would say it's still a pretty decent photo mode and uh, just in general the game I, I really, I guess I could say there's more background story I wish that was kind of being drip fed to me as I go through the village and the castle. And there are a few notes spread around and there's a couple of things here or there that you can kind of piece together. But overall, I would say at this point in the game, I still don't really know exactly what is going on. And maybe that's the point and maybe that's what Capcom wants for now at this point in the game. And maybe as I continue to play, things will really start to open up. I know that for Resident Evil 7... Uh, it was kind of like that. It, you got to a certain point in the game that it really started to open up story-wise. So maybe it'll be the same for this one. But overall, I've still thoroughly enjoyed my time with the game. And it was the main game that I played this past week. And there was one more game that I played. But I'm going to save my experience with it for my highlight of the week. Gamers, believe it or not, it was not Resident Evil 8 that produced my highlight of the week this past week. It was none other than MLB The Show 21. The only other game that I played this past week besides Resident Evil, and I only played a couple of hours of it. I played two games uh, in my franchise with my Oceanic Bay Sharks, my created team. And, uh, you know, I went one on one. I started a three game series against the Diamondbacks, and I uh, played the first game, won. Lost the second game. It was a real tough loss. I had an opportunity to win that game in the bottom of the ninth. Had runners on the corners, first and third. Man up at the plate. And I ended up just not being able to pull through with two outs. So the bottom line is that's obviously not a highlight of the week criteria, right? So that is not why we're here. It is the first game that I played and won. And it was because of the amount of fun and just genuineness that I got out of that game. So what happened is, as I said, it was game one of a three-game series with the Diamondbacks. My team, the Oceanic Bay Sharks, are coming off of a five-game road trip. And we just played three games in Chicago against the Cubs. Won two out of three. Played a game, two games against the Yankees in New York. Split that series one and one. Now we're coming back home. We're starting to get some wins under our belt. And it's a brand new created stadium. And if you know me, and I talked about it last week and before in the previous episodes in regards to MLB... 
I get kind of in my head, me and Graveyard Gamer over at Graveyard Gamer uh, podcast right here on Anchor. Check him out. Really good show as well. We talk about this a lot. Him and I get very much in our heads and create these storylines for our sports games. Just as we're playing through the franchise modes and just going through the seasons and different players and different scenarios as they happen throughout the course of our play. And it's no different in MLB here. And I got to tell you, it was just that storyline that was really driving all these different feelings for me going into this game and why it became my highlight of the week this past week. So as I said, I'm going into it. I'm thinking about all these things I've already mentioned to you. The five-game road trip, coming home. It's a brand new stadium, a brand new fan base. I'm hoping that what MLB does is starting out, you know, we're not doing that well win-loss ratio-wise, and we're a new team in a new area. So my hope is the realism here for the franchise mode and for MLB is that the more I win and the more we get better at home, the more people will attend the games and I can start seeing the stadium filled, the seats filled. Because right now, you know, it's, I would say mostly full, but there's still a lot of empty seats around. So I think it would be awesome if that realistic factor would be added in there and you can see your attendance and your fan base grow throughout the course of the season. So my point is, that's part of the storyline. It's like, okay, we won a few games on the road. We're back home. They're happy to see us back home. Let's go play this game against the Diamondbacks, who, by the way, they happen to be the first place team in the National League West. So playing a first place team in the same National League that the Braves or now the Oceanic Bay Sharks are, it's a pretty big deal. So for me, you go into this game, and I loved it for so many reasons. The game started out the first third of it, the first three innings. Basically, both teams, it was back and forth, really a pitcher's duel kind of a game. And ultimately, they ended up going up with a home run. And we really get, just kind of traded runs back and forth for a few innings in the middle part of the ball game. Ultimately, we got to the end of the game, and it was kind of the last four or five innings where really I loved that it became kind of a game management type of situation for me where I really had to keep a close eye on my pitcher and their energy and confidence levels and just making sure that I had relief pitchers warming up in the bullpen, ready to go if need to be substituted in and all these different things going on. It was just, it was great. And ultimately I ended up having some really good offensive successes down the stretch of that game. And I ultimately pulled out ahead of them eight to four. Now the best feeling though, was bringing in my warmed up closer, my closing pitcher to get that save and I was actually very successful in doing so, but it was in the best way. That final out of the game, the crowd was getting into it, came down to a strikeout, and I struck out the final out to win the game, get the save, beat the first place National League West team, the Diamondbacks. It was such an awesome feeling. And it just it felt good to beat that higher caliber team like the D-backs. And you know, it was, it was made even better by the fact that it was my first home game back at Tropical Falls, which is my created stadium. And I tell you, this is the most energetic that I've ever heard, the most engaged that I've ever heard the home crowd throughout the course of a game. And I love that. And that's why I am hoping that this is part of the beginnings of that increased fandom. And Another reason, all these reasons combined, why this game ended up being my highlight of the week. Now let's go check out some buried treasure gaming tips that I have for you in Resident Evil 8. Gamers, Resident Evil 8, just like every other Resident Evil game in the series, is not without its puzzles. 
Now, there was one very specific puzzle in Castle Dimitrescu that I wanted to give you guys a heads up on because I spent a little bit longer than I wanted to trying to figure this room out. And I want to save you guys some time. So there's going to be, I'm going to call it the five bells puzzle. And you're going to end up finding this puzzle in a room that has a portrait of Lady Dimitrescu. And it's a giant portrait, so you're not going to be able to confuse it with something else or not see it. It's a very noticeable room once you go into it, what you're looking for. There's actually a, uh, a canvas that has a painting with uh, an angel and five little cherubs that are also holding bells. And it has a note about, you know, ring the five bells of this uh, room, basically, to uncover its secrets. So I want to tell you guys where the five bells are because I feel like they are some of the, a couple of them are extremely well hidden. Now, remember, they are isolated. They're all right there in that room. And there's a couple of them that are quite obvious. So when you first walk in, pretty much to the left of that canvas, if you're facing the canvas, you'll see one right there. It's right there, pretty much line of sight. And you can just shoot the bell or whack it with your knife and it will activate. A little flame will pop up above it. Well, you turn around from that one and up on top of the cupboard or bookshelf, whatever you want to call it, there's one up top there. Shoot that one. Now, there's a tiny little staircase that leads you up to a little landing and you can go up there. Once you walk up that and you're at the top of the landing, first look to your left and there's going to be holes cut out into the wall and you're going to see different gears and uh, what looks like a pendulum kind of swinging thing, which ultimately ends up being the third bell that's in this room behind the wall. You just have to time your shot and shoot the bell swinging behind the wall. Now, the final two bells are the ones that are kind of tricky if you're not really looking, looking. Now, if you shoot that one, the bell that's behind the wall, you kind of move yourself back and shift back to looking to the right direction. And you look up, there's going to be a chandelier that's hanging from the ceiling. And if you really angle your perspective you'll see that there is a bell on that chandelier. So you shoot that, that's your four out of five bells. Now at this point, this is where it really took some time away from me trying to figure out where this fifth bell was. Long story short, gamers, there is a window, a skylight, that is, if you are standing there on that landing and you've looked up and shot the chandelier, you can't help but kind of look straight into your left and it's right up there in the ceiling. Shoot that window out. And hanging outside the window is the fifth and final bell. Now I'm telling you, maybe other people are able to just run in there and figure it right out, but uh, it took me some time. I spent some time in there. And I will just say, ultimately, the reward is worth going through this puzzle. So I'll just put that out there. But at the end of the day, saving you some time, hopefully it does, and hopefully you continue to enjoy Resident Evil 8 as you continue your playthrough. So now, let's go check and see what this week's Captain's Decree is. Gamers, this past week, there was a topic that was kind of refreshed in my mind. And that topic is of PS5 exclusives coming to PC. And my decree this week is asking the question, are PS5 exclusives releasing on PC a good thing? Now, I will say that 
it started with Horizon Zero Dawn. That was the first PlayStation console exclusive game to release on a platform outside of a PlayStation platform. And it's kind of why we are here revisiting this topic because it was also announced more recently and we are now currently a week away from Days Gone, another PlayStation exclusive title releasing on PC. Now, Horizon Zero Dawn started it, and from what I understand, it was a very successful business decision on Sony's part to release the game on PC. It sold very well and had very well reception on the PC. So the next game up, Days Gone. And I just got to say out front, look, I am all about more players experiencing more experiences and Things that maybe they were previously unable to experience, now they can. But, especially when it comes to Days Gone. Days Gone is very special and near and dear to my heart. It is one of my favorite games of all time. I feel it has been extremely underrated and underappreciated in the years since its release. I feel like it's kind of garnered a a, a bit of a cult following uh, here in the more recent six months to a year. Especially here recently, having been released on PlayStation Plus for free, I think it picked up a lot more players uh, that maybe not would have checked it out otherwise or did not check it out, obviously, at its initial release. So I feel the same for PC. Okay, great. You know, we have a whole different player base that has never experienced this game or would have never experienced it potentially, and now they have the opportunity to. So from that perspective, I love the idea. I am all about widening an audience and broadening an audience and bringing more people in and you know in this sense it could help support and fund and and maybe convince sony to create a days gone 2 and not a multiplayer open world game as a service kind of a game i mean a full-on full-fledged sequel single player story centric focused game just like the first one was uh that's wishful thinking on my part. I get it. But that's what the hope would be. And that's where uh, some of the positives would come from doing this kind of a business decision. Now, my caveat to that, though, is I'll be honest with you. I've never really been a fan of the Xbox exclusives being available also on PC day and date. Because how often have we heard over the last decade or so, or however long at this point it's been, that Xbox games exclusives have also released on PC How many times have we heard, oh, well, what's the point of owning an Xbox? I don't need to own an Xbox. I can get the games on PC. So at that point, it really does affect the console in that way. I get Microsoft and Phil Spencer's standpoint, like I just said, grow your player base. I get it. But at the same time, you're also limiting the reasons why people need to buy your console. And when you look at Sony and the PlayStation brand. They have never been one to deviate from their brand. And they've held a lot of their first-party weapons close to their chest all these years. And to now start branching out to opening them up to other people and for play on PC and release on PC, I don't know, listeners, it's it's just kind of worrisome in a way for me because I honestly, I do not want to get to a point where console gaming is obsolete. And the reason why I even would entertain a thought like that, Sony Interactive Entertainment CEO Jim Ryan has gone on record a year ago 
stating that he feels that the next generation of consoles, which would be the PlayStation 6 generation, the PS6, he feels, will likely be the last traditional home console as we know it. So what exactly does that mean? Does that mean that the PlayStation 6 and the next Xbox will be the last boxes or physical boxes that we buy and have for the next seven, eight years for a generation? What does it, what does it mean exactly? So you look at more and more games that have gone to PC. Xboxes, all exclusives are on PC. PlayStation is now starting to play with it. I just don't want the industry to get to a point where, ah, well, you know, PlayStation and Xbox can still be brands, but it'll just be hardware, like controllers that they can sell and just different branding of products or uh, different branding online, like your gamer score can carry on forever on PC or your uh, trophy level, things of that nature. I just, I worry that we would potentially go down that route and get to that point. And I personally do not want that. I prefer console gaming. I always have. I always will. So it's just something to think about. And to answer the question, are PS5 exclusives releasing on PC a good thing? As long as it doesn't mean the end of console gaming as we know it, then yes. Finding more players and more fans will always be a good thing. Let's just not lose console gaming in the process. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by searching for Hulking Yoda on Xbox Live and PlayStation Network. Reach out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com, as well as find me on social media on Instagram at lostatseagaming and on Twitter at lostatseagamin, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.